need. I have a question for you guys as we get started. Uh, if you want to open your Bible to Luke, we're in the Gospel of Luke. We're talking about Jesus, uh, the following, the concept of following Jesus as a disciple of, of Christ. And one of the things um, that becomes very important in the life of Christ or in the, the teaching of Christ and his disciples is this idea of prayer. And so we're going to talk about prayer today. And uh, see you later, guys. So my first question is this, and this kind of is just to discuss uh, as a group here together, we're not going to break up yet, is um, how would you characterize Jesus' prayer life? Did he have any particular prayer habits? And just, can you think of any? How would you characterize Jesus' prayer life from what you know of the Gospels? Okay, so he was secluded. I'm just going to write some of these down here. So he played... Uh, Seclusion. What else you got? Early in the morning. Early, okay. You see sometimes he goes out early. Oops. What happened there? Did it freeze? Oh, this is why this is not working. We're just going to go with it. It froze on me. Somebody's having fun next door. <laughs> the whole thing froze. That's weird. All right, Jesus prayer. Okay. Oh, I got verses here for you. There we go. Seclusion. All right. Seclusion. What was the other thing you said? Early. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes he'd go out early. What else? What else do y'all see about uh, when you're thinking about Jesus's life and all of the prayers? prayer that he had. Anything in particular that sticks out to you? have some verses if you want to be looking in your Bible. There's some verses at the bottom or on that uh, sheet that can give you some some ideas. Anything else? He was always very thankful and he didn't say too much. Okay, so we have... Based on the verses that are in there about how we actually pray. So you're saying thankful. Can you give me an example? We'll just like the spirit of this. I think... So you don't see him complaining. Okay? He does He does pray in pain, right? In the garden, he says, uh, you know, not my, will, but not my will, but yours be done, if it will. Take this cup from me. He, he does, but he's not like, there's something different about the way Jesus prays versus the way we typically pray, right? Does that not strike everybody? Like when, when we typically pray, like even in our prayer today, it's typically we, ro- we roll off a list of, of requests. Jesus' prayers are different. And I think that's important. Um, anything else? And I would say here, brief, not necessarily. Sometimes uh, very long. Like he would have all night in prayer, right? Well, I was just going based on prayer. Right. Anything else you can think of? I have that where I have that. Oh yeah, I didn't mean to bold that. That's for me to. Be, that's for me, not for you, right? Um, yeah. So he would have like I'm going to call this, uh, and this is don't take this the wrong way. I'm going to call this ritual, in the sense that sometimes. Or uh, when Jesus would pray, he would he knew where he was going to pray. Like there was a place for him to pray, and he would go to that place and pray. And you find that he would go to the wilderness. He would go to a certain place. Okay, I think that's that's something you can learn from all these things. I have some verses here. I listed these at the bottom. 
of your sheet and just kind of walk with me through these as we look at them. These are all throughout the book of Luke. Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Okay, so we see often, Jesus is praying often. He's known for his prayers and he would slip away. Hey, he's by himself. Where? To the wilderness. No cell phone coverage. Right? He's not going to be able to be distracted by the things of the world. Um, It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Can you imagine praying a whole night? Imagine, I mean, just think for a second. What's the longest you've ever prayed? Straight. Right? I mean... And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. Now, how does that, how does that happen? He was praying alone, but the disciples were with him. What do you get out of that? They were probably just nearby. Like, they could see him, but they couldn't hear him, I guess. They weren't praying with him? Okay. They were just listening to him? Uh, yeah, it's possible that as he goes to pray, they're praying and he's praying. They're together, but not necessarily praying together. They're, they're together in the same area. And he's praying alone. So there's a, there's a camaraderie here. There is a corporateness to the prayer. There's not one prayer going on. It's not like he's praying for everyone. I have no idea. Make something free, I hear. I don't know what that is. Let me just tell you, nothing's free. So y'all know. Nothing's free. Some eight days after these things, he took along Peter and John and James and went up to the mountains to pray. Look at that. Look at this event. Y'all know what this is in, in Luke chapter 9? The transfiguration. What were you going to say? Is that what you're... No? No, I thought that was when he went. That's okay. Uh, he went up on the mountain to pray, and while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. Like His clothing became white and gleaming. Uh, the idea of Jesus... Um, he, remember, he is transfigured before them, and he went up on the mountain to pray. It's kind of the same thing, but he goes with these people. And so, in other words, uh, there is a sense in which um, they're praying together. In what ways did Jesus provide an example for us in how we are to pray? What kind of things are we supposed to imitate? Just quickly, this isn't the main part of the lesson tonight. This is just getting us started thinking about prayer. What kind of things? Off the top of your head, don't overthink it. Go, okay. Go, go to your own room. Go away from the busyness of the world. Uh, don't try to pray in a place that's uh, really busy. Um, Make sure distractions like your phone's with you. you Yeah, so why do you think he prayed in certain places in the wilderness or on the mountain? What benefit? By himself. Quiet. Peace. It's harder now than ever to find time to pray. I remember um, before I had a cell phone, believe it or not, um, I I remember, actually even when I had a cell phone, before I had a smartphone, let me put it that way, before I had a smartphone, um, you'd be waiting in line, and you'd be, what would you do when you're waiting in line? You literally would just sit there and look at the back of the head of the person in front of you or pray or think or daydream. Have you ever been to the post office recently and stood in line? What is everybody doing? Everybody's on their phone, and they got their earbuds in. Everybody's walking around Walmart with their earbuds in. And uh, I almost want to, you know what I want to do? Go behind somebody. Rah! 
you know, scare him, <laughs> watch him jump out of the, of course, I'd probably get shot. But um, did Jesus always pray alone? No, sometimes he was with people. Did he always pray with others? No, he prayed alone. How, how can we effectively follow this pattern of having both a personal and a corporate prayer? My point here, and just getting you to think about this, is that it's not enough you say, I pray by myself. Great. Do you pray with other people? I think Jesus gives us a pattern. He not only goes off and prays by himself, he, he, he grabs two or three other guys. He's like, hey, you, 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 come with me. We're going to go pray. And they pray together. So there's a, there's a corporate nature. That's why at our church on Wednesday nights we have prayer services, prayer meetings. People get together and they pray. And that's important. Um, let's talk about uh, Luke 11, 3, instructions for prayer. Let's talk about how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. We're going to go around the room and read this passage real quick. We have the first four verses. So I, I can have uh, Albert Kiga start, then Kayla, then Elena, one, two, three, and then Jermel. Can you read verse four? And start in chapter 11 and read the first four verses for us. Just start verse one, if you don't mind. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Okay, so what is this called? What do people call this? The Lord's Prayer. Have you ever said it for a football game or for a, 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 a church service or something? Um, the Catholic Church, they even say, you know, say our fathers. That's what this is. Um what are you supposed to be doing? Is this how, you know, Jesus says, or they say, teach us how to pray, because John, who's John here? John the, the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray, and so he's giving an example of how to pray. Are you supposed to say these words, like when you pray to God, is this the only thing you're supposed to say? No. Okay, so what's the point of having this? It's a model, right? It's a pattern, what I'm calling a pattern for prayer. So what does this pattern involve? Let's just walk through what this pattern involves and we'll see exactly how we should do worship. For, notice the first thing that happens is worship. Father, may your name be holy. Uh, oops, sorry, went back too far. Um, hallowed be your name is fancy way of saying uh, make your name holy. Hallow is holy. Now, what does the word holy mean? Yeah, set apart. In what way? Like everybody's at a class. And there's that one person who's weird, so they sit at the front by themselves, and here, kind of set apart. Is that what holiness means? No, not really. How would you describe holiness? Holiness is not only set apart, it's the idea of special. Okay? So, um, for example, there are certain items in your house that are set apart for certain purposes. Such as, how many of you have things like, say, silverware, or plates, or bowls? See, when I, we have bowls in our house that are for cereal and for soup and things like that. And my problem is I like bowls because they're very multi-use. So I'm doing a project on, I'm working on a project with screws and bolts and nuts, and I grab a bowl from the kitchen and take it with me and throw a bunch of screws in there as I'm working on this project. My wife isn't thrilled with that. She doesn't get mad at me or anything. But that's violating the principle. That's gross because that is a single-use item. That is a food item, and I'm defiling it by putting grease, dirt, and junk in there. We have to wash it. Uh, what other things are holy? 
in, in, not in a religious sense, but in, in this in that kind of sense in your house. Can you think of something? Okay. Okay, so you're not going to use it to wash dishes. All right. Yeah. Um, there are things like you don't you wouldn't take you wouldn't take a, a spoon and use it to uh, clean out your shoes of mud. You know that is something that you, you have set apart. Now, that's what the idea of holiness is to God. Now this is important to think about it. When you, what does it look like to treat God's name as holy? Sure, people might misuse God's name. Uh, they might treat God flippantly. Like the opposite of holy is what? Okay, unholy. Yes, good. But what? Ordinary. Ordinary. That's good. Uh, I like the word. There's two words I really like to use, and one is uh, profane. I don't like to use profanity, but the word profane means it's the same thing as the word common. Really, if you think about it, what happens with profanity? What you're doing is you're taking something, I'm not talking about dirty words, I'm talking about profanity. You're taking something that's holy and you're making it common by the way you use it. Okay? So that's what profanity means, is you're taking something that you're saying, God damn something, okay? Pardon my language. Is that you're taking something that is serious, spiritual, that's a serious charge, and you're just making it flippant, common. You see? That's what profanity is. And so when you say, this is a serious thing, you're, you're, you're reflecting on worshiping God. You're saying, you're reminding yourself of God's holiness right from the get-go. That's, that takes primary position. First thing you do when you're praying is acknowledging who God is and worshiping Him. First thing you do when you pray isn't demanding everything. It's acknowledging who God is and who you are. Submission is the next part. Um, that's when he says, uh, your kingdom come. Okay, this is desiring God's kingdom. Did I put anything under here? Nope. Uh, desiring God's kingdom to come, not my own kingdom to come. I think I put this on your sheet. What does a kingdom entail? A ruler, a realm, and rules. Anything I missed? Subjects? I'd consider that a realm. Yeah. Like, the, the ruler rules a realm with rules. Right, that's a kingdom. So, whose kingdom are you desiring? Okay, you say that, but do you really? So, what about when God's kingdom starts messing with your kingdom? Yeah. Okay. Why? Why? I thought you. I thought you wanted God's kingdom. It's okay. Right. And this is the point, is that we have to remind ourselves, Lord, your kingdom come. We, we, we submit ourselves to God's way of doing things, not our own. What does it look like for me to have my own kingdom? I'm calling the shots. I'm doing my own thing. I don't acknowledge anyone. I am the ruler. What's my realm? My, my life, myself. What, what, is, what are the laws? What are the rules? Whatever I determine to be, what is God's kingdom? God is the king. I am His. I am now the realm, and the laws are God's laws. You see how that changes? We're asking God's kingdom to come, not just mine. This is, of course, there's also the idea of uh, we're asking for the future kingdom of God to come and, and and God to do that. But I think also has to do with the present. Next section is 
Request for provision. What do y'all find interesting about this phrase? Give us each day our daily bread. Anything repeated? Day. Why? Why is that important? Faith. Think about it. I feel like he's saying, give us what we need right now. Yeah. Versus what? Tomorrow. Yeah. God always will give you what you need. He he doesn't always give you what you want. Right? Um, Give us this day our daily bread. Not give us today what we need for the next three months. Not give me today what I need for retirement. Not give me tomorrow what I need today. It's give me today what I need today. It's this trusting and request for provision. All right. I got a couple more things. Forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. What's the catch on this? Right, so he's instructing them to, he, of course, he hasn't sinned, obviously, but his disciples have. And he's saying, forgive, y'all should say, forgive our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. Remember that? So I have a couple of verses for you. Matthew chapter 18. Here's a couple of things. Um, how often should you forgive somebody? Okay, but let's just imagine a scenario here that I uh, that I am. Um, oh, let's see here. Uh, Ryan finds out that I've been talking bad about him. I was watching him play Overwatch today, and so I go around That's and I'm like, helpful. and I was like, Ryan is the worst Overwatch player I've ever seen in my life. He's just terrible. And and not only that, like I was standing next to him, you know, and uh, and I don't know. I'm not going to make up anything because I don't want to, you know, be close to truth. But, but anyway. <laughs> But let's say I start saying really bad things about him, and then he comes up to me and says, Marshall, what's the deal? Like, I thought, we were, I thought you were friendly with me or something. What happened? Why are you doing this? It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I repent. I should not have said that. That was sinful of me. Would you forgive me? He's like, yeah, I'll forgive you. And then, like, he turns around. I turn over to Jamil. I'm like, can you believe that guy? He approached me about me saying bad things about him. Can you believe how short? What a short fuse. He's just got thin skin. And then, and then you hear me saying this. You're like, wait, whoa, whoa, Marshall, hang on. We just talked about this. Did we not just talk about this? Like, that was wrong. I'm like, oh, I repent. I'm so sorry. I was wrong. Would you forgive me? And you're like, yeah, sure. Why not? And as I turn around again, I, I sit against you again. You know, I do something else. See, I'm, I'm further mean. I start swearing at you. We're doing something really mean. And then I keep, and then every time I come back to you, I'm like, look, I repent. I'm sorry. I, would you forgive me? At some point, you're going to be like, look, this is getting a little ridiculous. And that's exactly what Peter is saying to Jesus. Peter says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So my brother comes up to me and hits me in the face. He says, oh, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Sure, I'll forgive you. Hits me again. Oh, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Yes. Seven times, that would be ridiculous. He says, no. He's, he, when he says this up to seven times, he thinks he's being like really generous. What does Jesus say? No. Seventy times seven. There is no limit to how often you should be forgiving other people who sin against you. Now, what does that make you think? When you hear that, does that sound a little bit unreasonable? What do you think, Sydney?
Okay. Right. Um, what right do you have to not forgive someone? I didn't say. I said you should have a forgiving spirit, but you can't let it continue. Okay, you can remove yourself from the situation. So if I keep hitting Ryan in the face, let's just change the scenario. Say I keep hitting him in the face, I'm like. Boom! And, he, and uh, would you forgive me? Yes. Boom! Would you forgive me? At some point, Ryan's going to be like, look, I need to go somewhere else right now. This is getting a little bit uncomfortable. So if you're in a situation where you're being abused or something like that, that's not okay if you like stick around and just keep forgiving them over and over and over again. But the point is is that you are forgiving in heart. You can remove yourself from the situation. Yeah. I'm not removing myself. <laughs> Speaking of, right? Sorry. What's the abuse that's happened here? I don't know. Um, but the point is, is that you have no right to withhold forgiveness because God has forgiven us so much. There's no limit on how many times you forgive. There's another thing. Any questions about this? Does that make sense? I mean, it's, it's hard to do this. But it's a command from Jesus. The other thing is, um, there's something attached to it. He says, for you forgive others your transgressions, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive, what? You realize when you carry a grudge, when you carry bitterness in your heart, when you haven't forgiven your parents for moving you when you were 13 years old and you lost your high school you wanted to graduate from, when things got really crazy at home your parents divorced and you got mad at both of them you still carry that in your heart and you're angry and angry and angry you realize when you are unforgiving that god is not forgiving you of your little sins too now he has he may forgive you totally for your sin and allow you to heaven you may be a believer but your relationship with god is messed up because you're holding back bitterness and that's what this is all about forgive us our sins because we're forgiving those who forget who have sinned against us. With all that, um, we have one last one, and that is request concerning spiritual growth, which says, "Lead us not into temptation." Now, there's a question here: Does God ever tempt you? Okay. <laughs> Does God ever tempt you with evil? No. Okay. Are you sure? Okay, good. Good, you're right. You're right. I'm, I'm just checking, because there's a couple of verses I want to run by again. One is uh, one of my favorite verses. If you haven't memorized this verse, you probably want to. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Who wants to read this? You want to read it? Can you go, Elena? No temptation has overtaken you. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Yep. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, you're not the only person who's experiencing this temptation. Isn't that great? That other people have always experienced these kind of things. But God is faithful, okay? You might not be faithful, but God is. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your able. You'll never be put in a situation where God says you will fail. Always. God puts you in situations, he may allow situations in your life where you can succeed. Okay? God will never tempt you, but he can withhold temptations. He can allow temptations. He can prevent temptation. All right? He can say, no, I'm not allowing that temptation because that's too much. He will never put you in a place where you can be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, what will he provide? The way of escape. So that you can be able to bear it. God makes it possible. 
for you to endure temptation. One more. You are right. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. We know that. So, Lord, lead us away from temptation. Each one of you is tempted how? What, what brings us in temptation? What? Our own, our own lusts. Our own desires. Okay, good. So, a couple thoughts. First, this ratio. Uh, how many, when you go back to our scripture here, what's the ratio of, man, I went way back here, um, requests? What do we have? We have worship, right? Worship. Kingdom come is submission. Okay, there's your request. Forgiveness. Spiritual growth. So one, two, three, four, five. How many things have to do with us asking things of God? How many times, and really, this is like two, so it almost could be one-sixth if you just talk about like volume. So, question. When we pray, what do your prayers look like? I know what my prayers look like. And, like, <laughs> five sixths of the time I'm praying to God asking for things rather than uh, submitting to Him and worshiping Him. We ought not to do that. We ought to follow. I think this is a great pattern, as we talked about. So, we have a few minutes here left, and I want to uh, go to our groups here. If we can break up into a couple groups in just a second, I think that will work for us. Let's talk about the motivation for prayer. We have a couple things here. Um, we have two different stories. One is in verses 5 through 8. We have two parables. Um, and, or a parable, yeah, two parables. 5 through 8 and then 9 through 13. So we're going to divide you right down the middle. This group on the left, my left, your right. Y'all take the first one, the first motivation. Try to find out what the motivation for prayer is in this passage. What is Christ telling them? should motivate them towards prayer. And you guys over here, circle up or whatever you want to do and talk through 9 through 13 and uh, see what your motivation is. We've got about, say, seven minutes to talk through this. So do the best you can in the time we have. Let's, let's take a look at what we got here for motivations. Your first group here, um, motivation one, I put your persistence will pay off. Is that what you had? What did you all have? What did you, what did you write down? Persistence, right? I... I and uh, notice the verse. He said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and said, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his what? Persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, what is the point of this story? interesting one, isn't it? It has to do with prayer. Anything bother you? Yeah. What bothers you? I think it's a little weird that like he gave it to him because he wanted to leave. <laughs> so it's like, is God just like, fine, I'll answer your request if you just leave me alone. Is that what God is saying? Okay. You're like, I don't think so, but maybe? I don't know. We were talking about this over there. This is a style of, of story that Jesus uses, it's called an argument from the lesser to the greater. And, and what you'll find is that he uses some a bad example and he uses something in that example to show you how if this person who's evil does this, 
how much not how much better and how much more perfect will God do the same? Okay? Or, or will God do similar? So the idea of persistence in prayer is important. Um, let's see here, I was gonna say um, you ought to go to the Lord time and time again. It's not just enough to go once. You ought to be praying with persistence. And I believe that prayer really works. Okay? I don't believe this idea of, well, I'm just going to pray, and whatever happens, happens. I really think God chooses, now pay attention to how I'm saying this, God chooses to allow prayer to work. He doesn't have to. He could do whatever he wants without our help, but he chooses, he tells us that prayer works. And so God allows the world to work in such a way that prayer actually makes an impact. So when you pray, things are actually happening. It's not just you, like, talking into the air. That that should inspire you to pray more, I believe. Okay? God's still in control, but he does do... Any questions about that? Does that make sense? Kind of? And similar uh, story here, so persistence will pay off. What's motivation number two? God will give you what is good. God will give you what is good. Um, what did you guys come up with on this? We talked about this in our, in our group here. Oh, let's read it. So I, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks will be opened. And what are you saying right now in your mind? Wait a second. That's not true. I've prayed for things and asked for things, and God hasn't given them to me. So he tells a story. Now, suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. Will he not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, will he not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how, much, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, what's the point? That is definitely in there. Uh, and the point, the main point is that God is going to give you what is good. How many of you parents besides me? No? So you don't quite know what it's like to give gifts to your children? That's one of my favorite things to do at Christmas, I'm telling you. Yeah, I love giving gifts to my kids. Now, it's fun to give gifts to your nephews and nieces, to your mom and dad, your brothers and sisters. That's all right. When you give gifts to your kids, oh, it's the best. And you want to give good things. Nobody intentionally gives bad things to their kids. I don't think. Um, you then being evil, that is not being like God, not being perfect, how much, or know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit that is the ultimately perfect gift to those who ask. So, in prayer, what's your biggest problem with prayer, according to this? What's the biggest issue with people praying? They ask what they want, not what they Okay, that's not, that is true. But I don't know if that's really what's going on here. What's the biggest issue with people praying? Not asking. God says, ask. Why don't you ask? Boy, that's loud, isn't it? I have no idea. Sounds like a party. Sounds like a rally. Rally? People are very angry about sides. <laughs> it could be about the Yeah. But ask. The key is to ask. Yes, Albert. Uh, I think it's kind of going back to, to 
what our text was, the one guy came to the other one because he didn't have right a, a, a visitor at midnight. He had the inability. And sometimes God's wanting us to ask because we think we have the ability, but we're actually we're, we have the inability to do what needs to be done. Because if you, if you come ask me, I, I can give you what it is that you what is needed. That's exactly right, and this is so, this is so key. I believe that we take way too much for granted. We think about things. We're like, well, I don't need to pray about that. I don't need to pray about that. That's I mean, going on a trip across town. When's the last time you prayed for safety? Come on, when's the last time I got a wreck? I need to pray for safety. Think about it. God's grace is around you. God's grace is surrounding you. Why don't you pray more? Why don't you ask, maybe the struggles you have in school are because you have not been spending time on your knees. Instead, you've been spending too much time studying. Have you thought about that? Asking God for mercy and grace and and the presence of mind to think clearly about what you're dealing with. God says he will give you good things. And, And I'm not saying that you should never study and just pray. Because I think he also makes us wise to do what we're supposed to do. But I do believe that there's a sense in which a lot of us take things for granted. We just assume that we got things under control where God is saying, look, you need to trust me. Like a child who, like my kids can't do anything without me. They really can't. They can't even turn on the light in the bathroom without me. Like I have to do everything for my kids. And it's and I don't mind doing things for my kids because I love them. And I think God's that way. He doesn't mind doing things for us. He loves us. He wants to do things for us. But we're walking around like, I can do this by myself. I don't need any help from anybody. That's what my kids do, too. They do that. I can do this. We are sassy with God. We're like, I don't need help. And we just pretend like God isn't there. And we wonder why we have struggles. Ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be opened to you. God is waiting to give you good gifts. You need to just ask. Any questions? We don't have enough time to do the other parables about prayer tonight. But um, any, any questions or persistent issues you'd like to talk about that can be addressed in a few minutes? Because I know there are things that we could talk about that might take longer. Yes, Laura. I thought you were going to say something. I do. Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. I could see it in your eyes. What, what's the question? Um, just with the persistence, is the, the point is to keep on praying for certain things to change us and to be patient on God's answer. Is that the point of persistence? I think, I think it can go both ways. I think actually God... Um, I think that... I'm just going to say this way. I think the prayer does do things. It's not that we convince God. I don't exactly know how it all works. There are a lot of mysteries in the scripture that kind of are beyond our understanding, like exactly how things work, how God's mind works. You know, it's hard to say. We tend to think it very much, if I can do it, I'll do it. Um, but but God is hinting here, and I think throughout all of scripture, there's these hints of, of God chooses to to allow, to condescend, is the word I like to use. Con, you know what I mean by condescend? To, to put it to bring himself low low Jesus did this when he condescended to earth and he and he was the son of God in heaven for eternity and he condescended became man and all of a sudden he's confined to one place one location he's got to sleep he's got to eat he's got to drink water he's got to have all these things going on in his body that limit him he's got to grow up as a child think about that limiting God lim- limits himself in order to commune with man regularly. He does it with Jesus as an example. I think similar here with prayer, that God chooses to condescend to us and makes, and he's relatable to us. He's relating to us in this, in this way. That actually by praying, God's heart, uh, I don't know, if it, it talks about God's heart being moved 
with compassion. You know, things happen. I, I don't exactly know how or why, but God actually does stuff with prayer. And we are way too modernistic and too secular in our thinking and too naturalistic to think. We tend to think, oh, that's too mystical for me. I don't think, well, you believe that Jesus raised from the dead? And you won't believe that prayer works? I mean, I, I really think this is something we've got to get a hold of. And that, that's what I mean. The persistence of it. Actually, yes, some of it is about changing my heart. But I do think some of it is about actually seeing an answer um, happen. That's about the best answer I can give you. I hope that's satisfactory. I have a question. Sure. So, if the, so the Lord can't get us beyond what we can bear. Correct. I have an issue with that because, it, because if the Lord is indeed... Well, he's not tempting us beyond what we can bear. He won't allow a temptation to, be come, to come upon us more than we can bear. Right, but at the same time, though... I think if if we go that and, and go to strictly with what it says, yeah, then once we get through that, we we can pray for safety. Like, oh, we won. That'd be great. But if the, but the temptation is different because it basically says that no matter my struggle, I can without God go beyond it because He's always provided a way of escape. No. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Are you are you saying that on my own I can avoid the temptation? Is that the question you're bringing up? Yeah, because isn't it that he that we are to be on we can bear, but the Lord provides a way of escape? Because this is because I don't know. I guess yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So you're um, you're saying that sometimes you will be in over your head. Yeah. And the only way out is what? Through the Lord. Sure. So He's the way of escape at that yeah. point. Yeah, I, oh, yeah. okay, so I may have been misunderstood. I'm no way saying that you can dig deep inside you or look around you and, and, and then you can dis- discern this way of escape apart from, and it's completely like your own wisdom apart from God. Not saying that. I'm saying that God a lot of times is that way of escape, but how he gives you that way of escape. So, for example, um, talking to people who are like who, who are in immoral relationships, right? Guy cheats on his wife. Couldn't help it. Yes, you could. Well, she would seduce me. Like, she called me to her house. I didn't expect it. She, next thing I knew, one thing led to another. At every point, you had the opportunity to say no. You got to her house. You could walk away. You realized no one else was there. You know, step one, or first base, you could have said no. Second base, you could have said no. There are a million different ways you could say no and walk away. Now, God gives you the strength to do that. Absolutely. In yourself, you have no power, sure. Is that what you're kind of getting at, I think? But I do believe that God will never place you in a situation where, uh, according to this verse, I believe God's promise is that him being faithful, he's not going to put you in a catch-22 where you have to sin. There's always, if you look closely, like Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, and sometimes the way of, of, of getting rid of this is running, getting out of the situation altogether. Does that make sense? Sort of, kind of? Any other questions before we close it up? Yeah, what's up, Todd? So say we do get really persistent and trying for the time Yes. That's like all well and good, but how do we combat that tidal wave of doubt that comes afterwards? Because sometimes when you're super persistent, the thing still doesn't come around. And then the more persistently you pray, and the more it doesn't happen, do you see what I'm saying? It kind of mm-hmm. like, it makes it harder to be faithful because like you're doing the persistent thing and nothing is changing still. It's... Okay, so to remind yourself the fact that God gives good gifts to his children. So there's the, there's the counter side of that. 
is that as we grow and change, this is the other side of what kind of Laura was saying, is that as we grow and change and draw closer to God's will, and it says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The first part is delighting yourself in God. And then God gives you the desires of your heart. Sometimes the desires of your heart are deceptive. I remember being a kid and wanting a candy bar and believing that God could materialize a candy bar on my bed in front of me. And I've, I've given this illustration before at church, but praying earnestly. And I believed. Lord, I'm praying that Three Musketeer Bar will appear on my bed as soon as I open my eyes. And I believed, man. I was. I opened my eyes and it wasn't there and my faith was rocked to my core. <laughs> was my heart in alignment with God and his good gifts? No, it was being all about my selfish lusts. James 4, why do these wars come in divisions among you? You're, I mean, why are these wars and strifes among you? Are they not your lusts at war with each other? Your lusts and your desires, you desire and you, you want to spend it on your lusts. These ideas uh, sometimes... Um, our desires are selfish, and God says no because it's the wrong thing for us. And even though we're persistent, God will still say no. Now, God will eventually, uh, God might eventually give us what we want, like the children of Israel. It might be bad for us, but it's it's a good gift in perfect timing. I have to think about that actually, because I'm thinking about that with the children of Israel and Saul. He was the king. I have to think about that. You just you got me thinking about something. I have to come back on that. Any other thoughts before we, we're a little bit over tonight? Yeah, he who, yeah, that's talking about asking for wisdom. James 1. James 1, where it says, let him ask Without any wave, without any doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Yeah, pray in faith. If you're looking to write that down, it's uh, James 1, 5 through 8. All right, let's close the word of prayer. Thanks for your good feedback tonight and good participation. And hang around as long as you want and clean up the donuts and candy and coffee. And then uh, we'll see you next time. Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us, and we thank you for being a great God who loves to hear our prayers and delights in condescending to us and answering our prayers. So, Lord, tonight I pray that you would please uh, keep us in the the middle of your will so that what we desire will be what you desire for us and we would see our prayers answered in a good way, Lord. Help us be persistent in our prayers as well. Lord, um, keep us in the middle of your will and help us to uh, love each other as we should. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, everybody.